Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. It is uh, such a joy to be able to stand here and to speak to all of you after three months of sabbatical. Um, uh, we missed you <laughs> uh, because we love you. I, I think, um, you know, there's something that God does in the hearts of his people regarding how they feel about one another. And maybe it's a little bit more evident when it comes to shepherd type people. But it's that, that you can actually miss and long for and your heart can actually ache for not just a few people, but for an entire family of faith. You see it often in Paul's writings, Thessalonians and Romans. He'll say, stay, say stuff like, I, I long to, to visit you and I greatly desire to see you. And I know we're separate physically, but we're, we're close in heart. And, and I'm praying earnestly amidst that separation. I can honestly say we experienced that over our sabbatical. Just a, a deepening love for all of you. Um, Paul and I, we endeavored to sabbatical well. One, because we wanted to give Jesus every opportunity to speak into our lives and work in our lives. But also because we wanted to honor the gift that was being given to us. And, and I think both of us would honestly say that it was a rich and valuable and precious time. And we're so grateful for it. And we are um, immensely thankful to Pastor Brandon and to Pastor Joy, and to the pastoral team, and the ministry team, and the shepherds team, um, who didn't just hold it together while we were gone. They, they moved forward in response to Jesus. They are, to a person, extraordinary. And um, we were absolutely blessed by that and by them. We did the work of rest on sabbatical. I know that sounds strange, but it's true. We, the work of rest for us was an intentional time with Jesus, intentional time with each other, um, intentional time with family and friends. We remodeled our backyard. I'm not sure I'll ever recover physically from that, moving a lot of sod and a lot of rock. I'll never be the same, uh, but it's like a little paradise now. So, so we love it there. Uh, we went on a family vacation. Paula and I did a few little trips together, and it concluded with a, a trip to Alaska to be with my longtime friend Dana and to catch silver salmon every day, and I brought home with me 100 pounds in my luggage of salmon, so uh, it was a great trip. But more than even that, when I think of what I'm bringing back with me from sabbatical, it is a renewed sense of how good Jesus is and how much he loves each of us, even amidst our mess. How much he wants to transform how we live our lives. Because it's been tough, hasn't it? We are, as a people, we're continuing to navigate perhaps the most difficult global environment of our lives. Add to that the dynamics that are threatening to create division in so many forms between family and friends and relationships. We're being stressed. We're being torn. And I know that that can wear on our hearts. And that can try to make our faith grow dim. And yet, it's that very thing 
those very challenges that Jesus actually wants to use to transform his people. He's calling us back to himself, not to some watered-down version of him, not to some religious system that is built on his teachings. Jesus is calling us to himself. And often he will use discomfort to finally get us out of our rut. Reminds me of a story that I heard when I was in Alaska. It's a true story. It's actually verified. Uh, my buddy Dana's daughter knows this person. But uh, he lives in the town of Haines, and outside of Haines, there's a, a lake. And around that lake, there's a lot of dry cabins. That's what they call them. These are cabins without water, without power. They're just, just a cabin. And people stay in them often. Some people stay in them year-round, which is crazy to me. But, but a lot of people just go camping in these dry cabins. There's a, a group of young people that was camping out in one of these dry cabins, and there was a girl in her 20s there, and, and it was nighttime, and she decided to go out to the outhouse to, you know, do what you do in outhouses. Nice, peaceful night in Alaska. Everything was peaceful. They're just sitting in the cabin, and then out of the outhouse, she explodes. The door opens, and out she comes, and she's screaming about, about, about being injured, and about something being in there, and I don't know what's going on, and, and so they, they're all, you know, scared, and so they get a flashlight, and they go to the outhouse, and they shine the flashlight into the toilet and realize that looking up at them is two big brown eyes and a big blocky furry head. There was a grizzly bear in the toilet. <laughs> I mean, man, talk about your stress, right? He was in the toilet. That grizzly bear had taken this opportunity that was presented by that girl now to partake in what was being presented to him, right? So, so it was kind of, and she ended up bit for that. Now think of it from a bear's perspective. I'm sure he was kind of like, well, you know, this place is really nice. He's in the outhouse. This is great. It's a lot of processed food, but this is great. But then he looks up and realizes, oh, they do fresh as well. This is terrific. Oh, it's like bear DoorDash. It just delivers. And so that's what happened. Leading this girl to get a few stitches and have an equally great story in her life. I can only think that Florida has nothing on Alaska. Alligators in your toilets, that's nothing. Try grizzly bears. But I can't help but think for that young lady that what was at first just normal, it was a comfortable place, just going to an outhouse, doing what you do, that sense of normal was dramatically interrupted and almost involuntarily she moved. I think that is what God is inviting us to in this season. Not, not to being bit by a bear in an outhouse, but to a chance amidst our very real discomfort, amidst our very real uncertainty, our real pain, Jesus is inviting us to move, to wake up, to be compelled and propelled to him, to move forward. And it's into that understanding of the way forward that I would like to spend our time talking today. A way forward that is entirely built around faith, which leads us to a great chapter regarding faith. It's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. This chapter is often referred to as the hall of faith, and it points us to this first step on our way forward, and it's this. Number one, have faith in God's promise. Have faith in God's promise. Hebrews 11, starting verse 8 through 10. In fact, right where you are, let's read it out loud. Right where you are, big voices, go. 
By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So this passage shows us what it actually looks like to build a life on God's promise. Going without knowing. Now, from a sense of geography and a sense of provision, that was absolutely true here. But for Abraham, it was not a complete unknowing for this reason. Abraham did not know the where of his destination, but he did know the who. Genesis 12, he heard God's voice calling him. God gave Abraham a promise, and the certainty of that promise from God outweighed the uncertainty of the path ahead. A lot is changing in our world. A lot is uncertain. A lot will continue to change. But guess what? Jesus won't. So the question for each of us today is this. What land are you living in? Are you living in the land of God's promise? Or would you say, I'm actually, really actually living in the land of man's problems much more? And we'll know the answer to that question by what we're most consumed with. Does our life revolve around that particular media outlet or that politically opposite family member, that latest calamity threatening to hurt all of us? That is the land of man's problems. And yes, it's a, a real land, but it's not the only land. Right in the midst of that, God calls us to the land of his promise. That yes, all of those problems are real, but there is a far greater truth that God is still calling his people to himself. Trust him. That is the land of God's promise. And that is the land we can choose to pursue. And yet we're often tempted to live in the land of man's problems as though that's all there is. I love how this passage shows Abraham and his people navigating the land of man's problems as they followed God's promise. It says they lived in tents. They lived as pilgrims. They didn't live as though this was their home. They knew they were just passing through the land of man's problems. But what do we do? We build condos there, don't we? We build skyscrapers in that land. We pave it. We try to tame it. We try to make it comfortable for ourselves. Perhaps to the point of thinking that the land of man's problems is the only land that matters. But God patiently waits for us to seek his promise, to listen to his voice above the voice of man's problems. There's a show I watched this summer. It's called The 100-Foot Wave. It's all about these big wave surfers, and they're in pursuit of ultimately riding a 100-foot tall wave. I think the record now is in the 70-foot range. 
And, uh, and they're finding places to do this. And it's, it talks about the story of discovering a place where this might actually be possible to find 100-foot waves. It's in a place, uh, it's a, a place called Nazare in Portugal. And uh, it's just an amazing place. And the, the specific topography of that place and the, the way the ocean bed sits, as well as the kinds of, of swells that come in through the year and, and the weather, it creates these giant massive Herculean waves. But what's unique about it is that in a lot of surf breaks, the, the waves will break all at the same spot, like over and over, it's really consistent. But this place isn't like that. Because of the way it's set up there and, and how the, the currents work, you'll have waves coming from the left and you'll have waves coming from the right and you'll have waves close together and far apart, completely unpredictable huge massive waves and they'll come together crashing to the point where all the water around them is frothy like a milkshake. And the waves move so fast that they have to use jet skis to get the surfers onto them. And then they have to use other jet skis to rescue them once they've tried to ride one. And they'd interview these surfers on the show and this is what fascinated me. And they'd say, this is so incredibly dangerous. Why do you do this? And the surfers would talk about the sense they got, not just when riding the waves, although that was ama amazing, but even when they were being pummeled by the, the waves, when they wrecked, and as they're being held under in this giant washing machine, and all of them to a person would in different ways share a version of this truth. They say, we come alive when we're close to something far greater than us. I found myself thinking, yeah, that's what we need. We live in the world of man's problems and we spend all of our efforts trying to make that world more comfortable and more livable and more like us. Yet God is longing for us to encounter him, to leave our sense of comfort and our sense of conformity and our sense of control and to get near to the one who is so much bigger, the one who is both terrifying and beautiful, the one who invites us to draw near to him and to come alive. I think I've realized that's why I like Alaska, because it removes this facade that somehow we're in control in this life. See, in Alaska, there's just so many ways you can die. <laughs> You can die in a boat accident, you can die in a plane accident, you can die in the weather, and you can die in hypothermia, and you can die in a landslide, and with bears, and with moose, so many ways to die. In Haines, Alaska, where I was, you leave the keys in the car, you leave your house doors unlocked, but you make sure your garbage is absolutely secure. <laughs> because there's more than one story of coming home to a fresh cooked meal and a bear on your couch. I love how it feels there in Alaska because I recognize that this place will not yield to my will. I must then yield to its will. And that's how it should be with God. Yet we do all these things in our life, don't we, to make us forget that truth, to make us somehow think we're in control, and we get irritated at anything that comes against our sense of control. 
Oh, there's a traffic jam on Delta and Beltline. Oh, man, I'm going to be three minutes late. Oh, the Internet's too slow. It took 30 seconds to buffer before I could watch Survivor. Starbucks got my coffee order wrong. I said oat milk. Don't you know? It's important. I have no problems with all of those things, cars, Internet, coffee. But could it be that we're so consumed with making the world of man's problems more comfortable that we forget that we're called to live in a different world? The world of God's promise? That terrifying and beautiful world where we don't make it if God isn't with us and if we're not with God. A world we cannot bend to our will. We can only yield our hearts in deference to the one who made it. This world is not our home. So why do we live like it is? We are to be a people of God's promise. Have faith in God's promise. It's the first thing. Second thing, have faith in God's power. Let's continue the passage, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 11. Let's read it together. Big voices go. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Friends, uh, the places that God is asking us to go cannot be reached in our power. They can only be reached in his. That means we have to get dependent. That is our only way forward. It says that Sarah was past childbearing age. I think that is like the understatement of the millennia. She wasn't just kind of on the outside edge of childbearing age, like, oh, I might have a little bit of trouble. She was 90 years old. 90, okay? That is way past childbearing age. I mean, I think about that, I think I'm almost 50. And for me, just walking around now hurts. Like, I just hurt just walking around. And when I sit down now, I make noises when I sit down, like I did something really difficult. Like, when I sit down, I'm like, oh, you know? And I'm like, wow, did the barometric pressure change? Whoo, that was, that was a task. Just sitting down for me is difficult. And that's how old I am. How must it have felt for a 90-year-old to be pregnant with a baby? I mean, sure, it was great. They could buy diapers in bulk because everybody needed them. <laughs> but this was just crazy. This doesn't just happen. And yet, it happened. How? Here's how. God wants to do what we can't. God wants to do what we can't. One of my adventures in Alaska this last time involved riding in a seaplane um, seaplanes there, it's a misnomer. There aren't float planes necessarily. They have wheels, a lot of them. Uh, but they're eight-seaters. You can't even stand up when you get to your seat. You crawl back to your seat. And, uh, and they only fly when the weather is, is, is good enough to fly. As the weather gets lower, they, they eventually stop flying. And on the particular day that I was flying, um, they were like, oh, we're not sure if we're going to go. The weather's kind of 
iffy, and, and, but they decided at the last minute, yes, we're going to go, we're going to do it. We're all excited, okay, let's get on the plane. And so as we're flying, the, the pilot would encounter uh, turbulence and then drop below it. And then he'd encounter turbulence again and drop below it. That's how they navigate bad weather. But eventually, you're out of space. And so we ended up at like 700 feet is where we cruised, which is really, really low in a plane. You're like looking at fishermen, like waving at them and like hitting their pole accident and like tink as you go by. I mean, it's close, okay? So there's that adventure going on. The other part that I thought was hilarious is when you get on those planes, the pilot, you're walking out to the plane, and the pilot will look back, he'll say, okay, we got a full plane today, folks. We got all eight of us here. And he'll say, the person in the back, you get to sit next to me. Which essentially makes that person the co-pilot. It doesn't matter who they are, they're just last. They get to be the co-pilot. And so now there's this guy sitting there, he's got the whole thing, the whole steering thing, all the buttons. He could totally be there, he could totally control that plane. He's right next to him. And the whole time we're flying through this stuff and we're hitting turbulence and it's all bumpy and all adventure and all that stuff. And all I'm thinking is, is for that guy who's now in the co-pilot seat, I'm like, don't touch anything. Whatever you do, don't touch anything, okay? Just let the pilot, he's the pilot. You're not, you're in the co-pilot seat, but you don't know what you're doing. So let him fly and you just sit there, okay? That's all I'm thinking the whole time. Just, just don't touch anything, just let him fly. That's the picture of how it's supposed to be with us and God. Yeah, we, we sit in the seat, the co-pilot seat, but... Do we understand it's not our ability that flies this thing? One of the things that I think was profound to Paul and myself on sabbatical was that when we knew that there was challenges hitting the church, we just knew things, you know, new COVID mandates and stuff like that, we just knew from being around, um, that we knew in sabbatical we, did, we had intentionally placed ourselves where we wouldn't physically or verbally affect change. Okay, we, we, just, we just put that on ourselves. Now, we could have picked up the phone and done that. No one limited us to that. But, but we knew that part of trusting God in this sabbatical was to really take our physical ability out of the equation, to trust the team and to trust God with that whole time. So all we could do, and we did this often throughout the summer, all we could do was pray. And we would pray for all of you and, and for Cove Church and for the leadership and guess what? God did great things. And, and you're all here and problems were addressed. Somehow life continued to move forward without our voices of timeless wisdom and our hands-on leadership. Wow, go figure, how is that possible? We were forced to trust God's power alone. And that's where God wants each of us to live. God wants us to quit thinking that the only resource we have is found in our own two hands. It's not. God's purpose is not accomplished in our power. God's purpose is accomplished in our obedience. If you say it, God, then I say it so, whatever it is. I choose to agree with you. I don't have to understand it. I choose to agree with you. I don't agree with my circumstance. I don't agree with my ability. I don't agree with my gifting. I agree with you. Sarah, it says, considered God to be faithful, God to be able. It was not her ability that made the difference. 
In fact, her ability made it impossible. But God's power closed the gap. So for her, all that mattered was what God said. Sarah was certain that she couldn't do it. But she was equally certain that God could. And because of that, she walked in a miracle. So what is God inviting you to that is beyond your ability? What place of obedience is God calling you to? Maybe it's spending a deeper time of intentional prayer with Jesus, just building that relationship with him. Maybe it's a step of generosity in your life that requires God's provision in in a new way, in a powerful way. Maybe it's letting God lead you in a process to address some of the brokenness and the strongholds that have plagued you your entire life. I know you feel weak, but right there, God wants to be strong. But we have to say yes. We have to obey. We have to trust him above all of that. We have to trust God's faithfulness over our frailty because that is our way forward. Have faith in God's power. It's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Have faith in God's presence. Finish out the passage, Hebrews 11, 13, and 14. Let's read it. Big voices go. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Friends, I know one of the strong temptations in this time is to fight to get back to the way things were before. I know how strong that is. And don't get me wrong, there are some great things about the way things were before all of this that's happened in this last season. But this passage brings us to a key truth. We must not allow the pursuit of the great things of yesterday to keep us from pursuing the greater things of tomorrow. Verse 15 says, If they had been thinking about the place they came from, they could have gone back. Just like we could choose to fight our way back. I want to get things back just to how they were before. But in this passage, it says, no, instead, they longed for a better country. They longed for a better world, for a promised land. And so should we. A past way of life can never be a substitute for a present life in God. And this promised land, this better country, was marked by one thing, the presence of God. Now, they only saw glimpses of that land. And we, too, may only see glimpses of that land. But even glimpses of God's heavenly kingdom will outshine the best that man's world can do. You know, I find it interesting when folks say they struggle with the idea of hell. 
is it real, that sort of thing. And I know there's a lot behind that thought, and certainly it's a, a broader conversation. But it is a fascinating statement to me, because in my eyes, we live in hell every day. To me, it seems completely obvious that hell exists because it's right in front of us. I mean, when you look around and, and mental illness is torturing people from the inside out, and families are being torn apart by political division, and humans are being trafficked, and people are being executed by terrorists, and addiction is taking the very soul of people in its grip. To me, it's like, what do you mean hell's not real? We're surrounded by it. But of equal truth is the fact that heaven is real. That Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's, it's accessible. That amidst this hell on earth, that heaven still pierces the darkness. And we see that too. We see that in the person laying down their life for another. We see it in the joy that's found in a baby's smile. We see it when we laugh with a dear friend until our gut hurts. We see it when we reconcile with a spouse after an argument, or we watch a person finally understand just how much Jesus loves them. Yes, heaven still breaks through. Your kingdom does come. Your will be done. And if you want to know what an eternal hell would be like, remove all of those glimpses of heaven all of those beacons of light and the darkness and the weeping that you are left with is eternal hell. It's a world without the hint of the presence of God. Here in this life, we get a glimpse of both kingdoms. We see God's kingdom and man's kingdom. We see heaven and we see hell. And we are then left with a choice of which kingdom will we live for? Which kingdom will we live in? And Jesus invites each of us to his kingdom of light, to his presence. And by faith, we can accept that invitation. He offers it to you right now. In fact, if you're watching this online, you could choose to, to enter that relationship with Jesus right now. That gift of relationship is being offered for, for you today. In fact, you could just click on that little raised hand button right where you are. And, and one of our, our team would love to pray with you about that decision to get you started on that relationship. Because it's available to you. It's available to everyone. This, then, becomes the focus of our life the presence of God. It's saying to Jesus, I want to go to the city that you're building. And I don't get there by going backwards. Will things be different? Of course. <laughs> That's the point. God is making all things new. We pursue a better country because that's where God is. That's where his presence is. We have faith then in God's presence. I'll wrap up with this. Uh, one of the little trips that Paul and I went on was to a place called the Oregon Gardens. It's these beautiful gardens. It's outside of Salem. 
um, you, you walk through, and it's, it's vast and huge and all different types of gardens. It's, it's really cool, really great place. And on the edge of the Oregon Gardens is, is a, the Oregon, Oregon Gardens Resort, this place that you can stay. And so we stayed there for a night. And uh, among other things, they have a restaurant there and all of that. But they also have live music just about every night. And we love live music. And so uh, we decided we would head down to where the live music was taking place. And so um, as we got closer, we could hear that live music was, was going on. And, and we stopped outside uh, the window, just kind of listened to, to what is this all about? <laughs> you know, what, what kind of music are we getting into here? You kind of do that, you know. And uh, we could tell right away that it was, it was country. And it was like old school country. Now, if you know me, I have kind of a, a, I don't know, a complex relationship with country music. Um, I grew up in Redmond, and country music is kind of forced on you when you grow up in Redmond, so I rejected it a lot in my teenage years, like I ain't doing that. But then as I've grown older, I've discovered some of the great songwriting and, and, and great artists and, and have started to, you know, really respect a, a lot of that world. But it's, it's a mixed bag for me, and so still when I will hear old school country that my first reaction is like, ah, I don't know. And I said that to Paula, but she's like, oh, we, we should go. And so we, we went in anyway. And, uh, and there on the stage was a husband and wife duo, country duo. She had a, a, the lady had a really, really nice country voice. And we stayed. And uh, adding to the experience, there's probably 15 or 20 people in the room. And by far, Paula and myself, we were the youngest by a long ways, like the next youngest person was probably 20 years older than we were. And, uh, and so, I mean, it, it was that kind of environment, so much so that you're looking at folks who are like, well, that's either their date or that's their caregiver. It was, it was that kind of environment. And so we're like, well, this is kind of different. We're just here, we're here with the people. And, uh, but we listened and we, and we liked the, the folks that, that were performing and we wanted to support them by giving them a tip. And so I went and got some cash. And uh, so we're pretty far away from the stage. And, and we wanted to give them a tip. And their tip jar was right up there on the stage, too. But we didn't want to make this big scene with, with the tip. You know, like, hey, everybody, you know, we're here big tippers. And we walk up in front of everybody in this big room and make this, this big gesture. We didn't want it to be like that. And so we, we started to develop a strategy. Because we noticed that a few times throughout the night, a particular song would come on. And people would get up and they would start to dance. Okay, they seemed to know the song and they would get up and they would start to dance. Not like hip hop dance, more, that would be more like break a hip in this uh, particular thing. It, it was slow dancing, okay? And they'd, they'd get up and they'd start to dance. And so what we decided, our strategy was, the, the next time that happens, people get up to dance, we'll get up and we'll dance too. And then we can dance our way near to the stage and we can give the tip without making this big scene. So we were like, okay, that's, that's what we're going to do. And, uh, and so a little bit of time went by, and uh, a song begins to be played, and people seem to recognize it, and they begin to stand up, and they start dancing. And I say, sweetie, this, this is our time. We've got to do it. And we're both scared. We're both like, oh, man, this is kind of a little awkward, a little strange. We're both scared, but let's do it. So we stand up, and, and, and we're dancing. And we get out on the dance floor. And we're dancing to this song that we don't know necessarily in a style that we're not necessarily in love with, with a group of people that we may not have a lot in common with. But then the chorus comes on. 
And she sings, could I have this dance for the rest of my life? Could you be my partner every night? When we're together, it just feels so right. Could I have this dance for the rest of my life? And right there in the midst of that strange and awkward place, Paul and I just had a little moment together. Just us in that lounge <laughs> with our new friends, all of us staying up way past our bedtime. It must have been pushing 9.30. <laughs> it was great. And yes, we were able to make less of a scene dropping off the tip. But I tell you that story to tell you this. Sometimes we don't like the song, but that should never keep us from dancing. Sometimes we don't like the song, but that should never keep us from dancing. Friends, none of us would have chosen to live in the times that we find ourselves in. But God's people, God's people still dance. We dance because we don't just hear the melodies of this world. We dance because we hear the melodies of God's kingdom the melodies of faith in God's promise and God's power and God's presence. And friends, that is our way forward. So maybe today you're just tired of trying to figure all this stuff out, of trying to have the right answer and know the right answer and, and know exactly what you're supposed to do. God is inviting us to going without knowing and to simply go to Him. There is one answer for God's people in this time, one way forward, get close to Jesus. Because if we are close to him, we can dance whether we like the song or not. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.